This morning's reading is from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Thank you, Sue. You've unfortunately got the substitute this morning. This should have been Evan, but unfortunately Evan, along with many people here, is stuck at home uh, dealing with the after effects of COVID. So Evan and I have done a swap. This is an August sermon. And you in August are going to get Evan's sermon today. I've recently uh, just come back from the US and as we watched the news the number of mass shootings in the US was heartbreaking the one in the Uvalde school really captured the attention of the Americans in a way perhaps many haven't before 21 were killed two teachers and 19 children between the ages of 9 and 11. How does anybody come to the conclusion that that 
is the right thing to do. It's incomprehensible, isn't it? Maybe you've been looking at the news in Ukraine. And it's heartbreaking to see what's happened. And the information that's come out of Bucha about the brutality and inhumanity that has been committed in that place. You just have to ask yourself, how do people end up doing things like that? Now, those are the extreme end of the list, aren't they? But there are still people who are supposed to be our leaders, both in the UK and the US, who've been caught not telling the truth. Some of them have been misusing their position for personal gain or for other reasons. Or maybe it's the way people behave on social media. There seems to be a flurry of laws coming in to regulate some of the obscene things that are being done. Why is it people seem to think because they're anonymous, they can say some of the most hurtful things possible? What's wrong with people? What's wrong with the world? Why are people so evil? Now, if you'd have asked the Pharisees or the religious leaders at the time of Jesus, they would have separated people into good and bad. They developed a really detailed code of laws about what the right behavior was with the intention that this would guide good behavior and deal with evil. <laughs> However, I'm not sure rules cut it because we can't agree what good rules are. What's the right laws? As I said, we were in the US. If you watch Fox News or you watch CNN, you get a completely different view about how abortion and gun laws should be treated in the US. They cannot agree. <coughs> or maybe in the UK, it's about immigration and transgender rights. What should the law be? You see, the religious leaders have worked hard to define what was acceptable to God, what was acceptable behavior, along with suitable punishments or penance for non-compliance with the intention that this would guide behavior. Because as I said, in their mind, there are two types of people. There are good people who God is okay with, who keep the rules most of the time, and there are bad people who don't. And these are the people God rejects and wants to have nothing to do with. So by their logic, if a bad thing happens to someone, it's God's punishment for them being a sinner. So clearly the paralyzed man in this story, either he had done something wrong or his parents, because that was God's punishment on him. We may think this is a bit old-fashioned, but we fall into the same trap, me included. How many times have we thought in our heart, how could this bad thing have happened to such a good person, God? What are you doing about it? It's the same attitude. It's the same views. And if we're honest, it's an attractive way of thinking, isn't it? That you know, we're okay, we're good people, and there are other people out there who are bad and who are evil. But if we're honest, 
If we look inside, we know there's something not quite right with us too. There may be things in your life that you, know, you keep covered up, you keep locked away because people might not like you if they knew what you were like. Alexander Solzhenitsyn puts it beautifully in his book, The Gulag Archipelago. I make no claim to have read the book, by the way. I just grabbed the quote, which I thought was brilliant. If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? In my research, I came across an article in Psychology Today by uh, Ralph Lewis, MD. The article was titled, What Actually Is Evil and What Makes People Carry Out Evil Acts? Which I thought would help us inform our thinking on this. He says in his mind there are four, well, based on research, there are four root causes of evil. The first is a simple desire for material gain. People want more for themselves. The second is what is called threatened egotism. You know, that's about who I am, my status, my honor, who I am in society. I need to fight back if people denigrate me or push me down. Because I have rights. The third one is idealism, which I thought was really insightful. These are people who believe they are right, and therefore they have the rights to do what is right out in society, even if it costs other people because they're right, because they know what is right. And then finally, there's a very small group of people who just seem to be get pleasure out of being sadistic. For me, if you boil it down, it's about me. It's about my rights. It's about my decisions and what I'm entitled to. He then goes on to say something really interesting in that same article. He says, all told, the four root causes of evil are pervasive which leads one to wonder why violence and oppression are not even more common than they are. He then says, in his view, the answer is that violent impulses are typically restrained by an inner inhibitions. People exercise a level of self-control, possibly based on learned behaviors. Maybe they're making a rational trade-off. You know, the consequences of doing that is worse than the benefits I gain. It might be from some sort of religious belief, you know, or social norms that people want to follow. These things act as a break against doing evil things. And then what I found really fascinating is that when you take what Richard said and look at what Jesus says, there's some interesting parallels We didn't read Mark 7, it comes a little bit later, but there's an argument between Jesus and the religious leaders over ceremonial washing of hands. The religious leaders have got cross because they'd seen the disciples picking grain and not having washed their hands before eating it. In Jesus' response, he quotes Isaiah. He turns to them and says, 
these people, meaning the religious leaders, honor me as in God. So in other words, the religious leaders honor God with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. He then goes on to say to the disciples, because they, they struggled with a bit of the argument, and they, they struggled to understand what Jesus was getting at. And then he said to them in private, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of our person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. How interesting that Ralph Lewis comes to a similar conclusion. That it's something inside a person in their heart that leads to these things. If you look at both lists, Ralph's list and those lists, you can get quite a big crossover. I can see how that root cause might lead to that behavior. Paul adds a further interesting insight in his letter to the Romans. He says, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do what do things they should never, that should never be done. Let me read that again, sorry. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. The thing is, if you acknowledge God and ask God to come into your life, the Holy Spirit comes in and changes you, changes your thinking and your approach. He transforms you. And that acts to change some of those inner biases, some of those things that lead us to do that. Ralph, in his article, will talk about that's that restraining thing on those evil biases as God starts to work inside you. And clearly, the further you move away from God and that restraining influence, the greater influence it has on your behavior and evil starts to grow. I listened to a debate between Sarah Blackman and Jordan Peterson. You may not know who Jordan is, but um, very popular online. And, he was say and, and Sarah Blackman was saying that um, civilized societies like they are in Europe and its religion and some of those things that are causing the problems, that Jordan says, no, quite the opposite. That the reason we have civilized societies in Europe is a hangover from the rules and the, the learned behaviors that we've historically had from Christianity. And as you look at the direction things are going, you can see people moving away from that with the inevitable consequences. I'll leave you to see whether you agree with them or not. But let's get back to the story and see how all this fits together. So Jesus was at home teaching a crowd who gathered to hear him. They were packed into his house. They were staring through the windows, probably hoping to see a miracle. And then stuff started coming down from the roof, and then there was a hole, and four mates were dangling their friend down through the roof in front of Jesus, asking him to heal him, this paralyzed man. 
And then Jesus does something really shocking, doesn't he? You know, we're all standing there. We're expecting the same thing. This guy's paralyzed. Jesus is going to heal him. Amazing miracle. And Jesus turns to him and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Uproar. Surely you know this man needs to be healed. The Pharisees are absolutely apoplectic. Only God can forgive sins. They might agree his sins need forgiven because he's paralyzed, but, but only God can do that. And then Jesus turns to them and said, which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? The challenge is laid down. The man gets up and walks away. The crowd are stunned. The implication is that Jesus does have the authority to forgive sins. That's shock number one. We then get shock number two as we move on in the story. When Jesus turns to a tax collector, Levi, and says, follow me. Now, you may or may not like the inland revenue in the UK, but tax collectors in those days were beyond the pale. They were collaborating with the Romans, collecting uh, money for Herodias, the, um, the, the leader at that time. But what they were able to do was because they had the authority of Rome, they were able to collect a little bit extra. So not only were they collaborating with the enemy, they were robbing their own people to line their own pockets. They were beyond the pale. You don't mix with people like tax collectors. They're not welcome in the temple. They're social outcasts. We don't know whether Levi was there when the paralyzed man was healed. We don't know to what extent he'd heard Jesus talk in the past. But what we do know was that Jesus was saying to Levi that same forgiveness that was available to the paralyzed man is available to you too. And when he's forgiven, that barrier between Levi and God was broken. He could come back. God could start to work in Levi's life again to moderate his behavior, to change the man he was. That broken relationship, that heart problem. Remember the song we sang earlier about rule my heart. That's what Levi would progressively have been asking God to do. It may sound hard, but just remember what sort of person we're talking about. We're talking about a compassionate God. A God that loves you like a mother loves the infant in her womb. A God who is gracious that sent his son Jesus that not only would you find out about God that he would provide forgiveness and an opportunity for you to return. Jesus was asking Levi to follow him and saying, not only are you forgiven, but you're welcome back into God's family. So we've had two shocking instances. First of all, we've had Jesus forgiving sins. The second thing we've had is a tax collector restored. And then we have a dinner party. 
And just before I left, Sue and I had an interesting conversation. Because if you read the NIV, the dinner party was in Levi's house. If you read the English Standard Version, the dinner party was in Jesus' house. And if you like Tom Wright, you believe the ESV and not the NIV. It doesn't matter, does it? Jesus was having a dinner party with the worst of the worst, the outcasts. Sinners was a collective term for the people you don't mix with. You can guess what they might be in our society today. And lots of other tax collectors. People will be saying, you're a local like Jesus. You live here. You know what these people are like. You should be avoiding them. They're trouble. And if you say you're from God, how can you mix with people like that? Jesus turns to them and says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Can you hear the words of a compassionate God that longs that his children would return to him? You see, the religious leaders believed they were okay. They'd they'd moved people into two categories. The okay ones that followed the rules and the evil ones that didn't. They'd written the rules. They prescribed what they were. And they were pretty good at keeping them. Does that sound like egotism and idealism to you from our list of Richard Lewis? See, because they set the rules, it was about them. It wasn't about God. They were telling God that they were good enough and they were telling God who was not good enough. Remember Jesus' quote from Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, it's a heart problem, really. That's where we've got a problem. You see, rules just address the symptoms. They make us slightly better. They mask what's really happening, that underlying heart problem, that rejection of God and who he is and his authority in your life. That's saying, I know you're a compassionate and gracious God, but I don't, you say you're a compassionate and gracious God, but I don't believe you. I want to live my life my way. But Jesus said, I've come to forgive your sin. I've come to restore that relationship. But you've got to want it. God is slow to anger. He wants to give you lots of time to come back. But there will come a point where he says, no, just go. Do things your way. There are consequences. You see, the thing is, each one of us needs to accept that we're sinners, that we fall short. Each one of us needs to accept that we need to come back to God. We need forgiveness. Because Jesus can fix it. So what's Jesus' diagnosis of the problem? We've all walked away from a compassionate and gracious God. We've decided we know best. We want to live our lives our way. We don't want to give up any control to God. That influence that would modify our behavior, that would move us away from evil, 
And when we reject God and decide we know better, he allows us to go. But as both the psychologist tells us and Paul tells us, there's something within us that is a bias for evil. That selfish inward bias that leads us down a difficult path. But we know we have a God who doesn't give up on us. He's a God of unfailing love. He is faithful. He will do what he has said he will do if we seek him. So how does that God sound to you? What do you think of a God who is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger? A God of unfailing love who is faithful. A God who loves us like a mother loves a baby. He sent his son Jesus to make us aware of the problem and to deal with sin through his death and resurrection. God cannot ignore the sin in our lives, but he is slow to anger. He wants us to have time to turn and come back to him because his love is not limited. It's not limited by time, by place, who you are, and he is faithful. He'll do what he says he will do. These dinner party guests discovered something amazing, that that God was interested in them, that that God offered them the same thing that he offered Levi. We may not be the worst of the worst, but this compassionate, gracious God wants you back too. And if that's something that you want, why don't you follow Levi's example? Why don't you accept Jesus' invitation to follow him? Why don't you ask Jesus for the same forgiveness that he gave that paralyzed man in your life? And then ask the living, compassionate, loving God to come back into your life through the power of his Holy Spirit to start to change the way you are. Now, it might be for some of you, you're struggling a bit with this picture of God. You've never thought of God like this. Can I give you some homework? When you get some time today, go home. Read the story of Jonah. Bear in mind the Ninevite nation were the worst but just awful, awful, cruel nation. Worse than anything we know nowadays in what they did. Yet how did God treat them when Jonah went to them? And then move forward in the Bible to the story of a young man who said to his dad, I wish you were dead so that I can have your inheritance and I can spend it on wine and prostitutes. How does God treat someone that does that? Read those two stories, the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 in the New Testament, and see what you think of a God of compassion, grace, slow to anger, unfailing love, a God who is faithful. If you want to take that step that Levi did, accepting Jesus' invitation, asking for his forgiveness and asking God to come into your life. We're about to celebrate communion.
That's a tip for those of you that are online if you want to dash off and get some wine and bread if you'd forgotten. Why don't you take bread and wine this morning? And as you take the bread and wine, why don't you follow Levi's example? Saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I want your forgiveness. Yes, I want God to come into my life. And if you do that, please tell someone. Perhaps the person that you came with. If you came on your own, why not come and tell me? So that we can pray with you and encourage you. Thank you very much. Now, I believe we are going to sing, Oh, praise the name of the living God. Is that right? It is. Praise the name of that God who is compassionate, gracious, and slow to anger.